this morning. Amen. I hope that you all got the email uh, we sent out midpoint or so last week about what we're going to do in adult Sunday school this morning. Uh, this is pretty unusual. I'm honestly, I'm still kind of getting used to the notion of what we're what we're going to do with Sunday school this morning. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about a particular social, political, legal event that took place on January the 8th in Canada. How often do we do something like that in uh, our adult Sunday school hour? I was thinking about it, and so far as I can really uh, remember, this may be one of the first times we've done something like this, taken a particular teaching time on a Sunday uh, and given it to a particular legal recent event. We're just, I think, rightly hesitant to do that kind of thing too often. Uh, it's easy for the church to get confused about what, it, what it's for, what it exists for as we gather together. Um, the one thing I could remember was, uh, I do remember when the Obergefell decision happened, legalizing gay marriage nationally, that when Bobby got up to preach, the first part of his sermon was given to a, uh, to a statement about uh, what had taken place and, and uh, what the Bible would say about that. I'm very thankful that, that he did that. Um, it just seems to me the fact is that we're, we're in times that may be such that the need for this kind of thing might increase. It may be a little bit more frequent as years go by in the future where we need to stop and understand certain events as they happen. What do they mean? What are their implications? Uh, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. This is, as I said, something that happened eight days ago. A, a law passed on December the 8th and then went into effect 30 days later on January 8th. Uh, this was a new amendment. You see the title up here, Canadian Bill C-4. Let me just ask real quickly, show of hands, how many of you heard about this in the last week? Oh, good. Okay. So there's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, so you may be uh, somewhat familiar with, with what has, has happened here. This is an amendment to the criminal code in, in Canada. Um, and the bill that established these changes is called Bill C-4. And this morning we're going to talk about it. We're going to seek to understand it better, uh, what it said, uh, and what the implications are. And so the starting question, I guess, would be uh, why? Why are we going to talk about this? Uh, and let me just stop here and remind you, in our Sunday School Hour, we really love for this to be a chance to have more of a dialogue kind of context. So please feel very welcome to jump in with comments or questions as we go through all of this. Um, but my answer to the question why, I, there are two reasons to me that it would be good for us to do something like this this morning. One is the simple fact that this bill uh, and these law code changes pose an immediate, today, threat to our Christian brothers and sisters in Canada. And we love our Christian brothers and sisters in Canada. We, we've, for a bit now, been once a month uh, taking time in the service to talk about a different country across the world. And what we're emphasizing there is, uh, what is the state of the church in that place on earth? How, how are God's people doing? Uh, how is the gospel doing as it goes out to the world in that particular country? And we're praying for them. We care about how our 
church family across the globe is doing. Uh, and this is a very new and immediate threat to our brothers and sisters in Canada. So that's one reason for us to understand it. We can't pray for them about this if we don't know uh, what to pray for. Uh, but secondly, uh, we would want to do something like this in this particular instance because we in the States have our own version of this legislation that is rapidly gaining momentum in our country. And I don't mean by that that there's a growing public conversation and some support starting to gather. I mean that there are 20 states out of the 50 that have already statewide effectively done what this bill does. It's not the same, and we'll talk about that. Um, but these, these things are in place in our country in a big way already. And one thing that really sort of frustrated me as I looked into this uh, was the extent to which I was not aware of a lot of these things. There's just, I, I, I've been behind the, uh, the game a little bit in realizing how much is, has changed in the last even 10 years as far as the state of things in our own country. Uh, so if, if this is a, a means for us to grow in our insight about how things are going in our own country, then that's a good reason as well. There's good reason for this to be on our radar. Uh, we, we decided to make this change and to do this middle of last week. Um, I really don't even have a clear sense of how, how much time this is going to take for us this morning. Um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But one of the plans I have is that when we do finish going through the material here, uh, that, that we will spend time then getting together with those that are sitting near us and, and actually spending some time praying in small groups here for our brothers and sisters and for this uh, situation. So you can be ready for that. Uh, the, you're familiar in the Old Testament with the places in the prophets where God spoke about watchmen <clears throat> and the accountability there. Uh, there, these, are, these were uh, men, especially he's speaking about the prophets themselves, that God had set on the city wall, if you will, right, to see things coming, threats coming, and to warn his people. Uh, and to whatever extent we can serve you by warning you about the state of things, about coming battles, coming dangers, so that we can be preparing ahead of time, to face deceptions, to face pressures. We want to do that. Uh, those kinds of things, deceptions, pressures. The, the worst time, isn't that true? The worst time to try to start thinking through the lay of the situation would be when the controversy is already upon you. That's, that's exactly when you don't want to have to start thinking about what faithfulness looks like, uh, counting costs, things like that. So we can kind of benefit in a lot of these sorts of situations from living in the Texas panhandle. It gives us a buffer. It gives us time to see things and to process and prepare. And it would be downright uh, unfaithful of us to waste that time and then be caught off guard as things come our way. So essentially what we'll do in this hour um, is I want to take us through much of the language of the bill itself. It's actually not that long. Uh, but to take time to understand the concepts in it and the implications of it. Uh, and just let me say at this point, I have printed off four copies of it that I have right underneath here. 
I can make more. But if at the end of this, if you'd like to have one in your hand to see it yourself, I, I've got the first four, just get it right off the bat there. The rest will have to wait. Uh, but as you'll see here in a moment, what this is going to be, this is a bill that makes illegal in the nation of Canada what it calls conversion therapy. And we're going to consider the concept itself, how they define it especially, that's important, um, and all sorts of things. So we'll do that for much of our time. We're then going to turn to the U.S. and talk about the state of things here relating to these conversion therapy bans. Um, how is that right now? Uh, what's different about those bans? That sort of thing. And then, as I said, we'll spend time in smaller groups just simply praying uh, for God to protect and equip and um, give courage where it's needed. All right, so uh, first here, I really tried to make the font big enough for you to see. Uh, I have been told that it's bad practice to read what shows up on a slide. You're not supposed to do that in a presentation. I am going to do it on this one, but I don't think I'm going to do it on the other ones. But let me start by just reading this. You can follow along here. They helpfully, uh, at the, uh, toward the outset of the bill, define what they mean by conversion therapy. So to start here, it says, conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to, and then you see A, B, C, D, E, F. Just notice, as we're about to read through these, A, B, C says change these three things, and then D, E, F says repress these three things. You see that? And it's, it's really the same three things again. So this, uh, this bill would mean that it is against the law to practice treat to to, uh, to engage in a practice treatment or service with the intent to either change or repress these things. Okay, uh, a designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. B designed to change a person's gender identity to cisgender. C designed to change a person's gender identity, gender expression, so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Um, and the, essentially, those same three things then are then repeated. Any practice, treatment, or service designed to repress those things is similarly outlawed here. Now, to begin with, it, it may be helpful. There's a, a few just vocabulary up there that that uh, is, is maybe a little bit foreign. I, the, the notion that it would not be foreign makes me sad. Uh, but but we, it's, if, this is, if this is the way these conversations are going, we do need to know what the language is. Uh, to me, so the first one I suppose is cisgender. Um, that's a term that, that almost makes me angry. I wanna be stubborn and refuse to even use that term and, and, and and to suggest that we need a term for this, right? It's just, it's just insanity. The, the notion that you need a word to describe a boy who was born a boy uh, and thinks he's a boy and wants to present himself to the world as a boy, that's what, a cis, what cisgender is, right? It's the opposite of transgender. If you're born a female uh, and you grow up and you begin to present yourself to the world and ask the world to think of you as a male, that's what transgender would be. If you don't do that, 
than your cisgender. It's just a word to describe, to describe that. Um, but there's two others here that I had to look up to understand the difference between them. Gender identity and gender expression. Uh, and I, I, I looked to Canada. Canada helped us again. The Ontario Human Rights Commission has a helpful uh, set of definitions and it defines those two terms. So here's what the Ontario Human Rights Commission tells us. Gender identity, that's the one in B there, is a person's internal and individual experience of gender. It is their sense of being a woman, a man, both, neither, or anywhere along the gender spectrum. A person's gender identity may be the same as or different from their birth assigned sex. So the key words there are internal and individual experience, right? Uh, gender identity is a person's internal experience of uh, their own sense of their gender. Gender expression, uh, as they define it here, is, quote, how a person publicly presents their gender. This can include behavior and outward appearance, such as dress, hair, makeup, body language, and voice. A person's chosen name and pronoun are also common ways of expressing gender. So the simple difference between B and C is that it's, it's illegal to seek to change a person's internal conception of who they are, and it's illegal to seek to change a person's outer expression of that to the world uh, to, if you're seeking to change it in a way that leads it to conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. That would be illegal. Um, furthermore, it's illegal to seek to repress those things in D, E, and F. Now, one thing I, that is really important here as we're thinking about the Canadian situation is to notice the broad definition at the start there, conversion therapy, a practice, treatment, or service. What does that mean? What constitutes a practice, a treatment, or a service? Um, and, and some of the history of this bill and what's been happening uh, prior to this in Canada is, is really helpful in understanding why Canadian Christians are so concerned right now about what, this, what has just been passed. Um, th this bill tried to pass last year in a different form. It was called C6 in last year's legislative section. It did not manage to pass. It died before they broke for the summer. And the reason that it didn't pass is because there were, I think, 63 conservatives in, in Congress there uh, that, that would not go along with it. Their objection was that, uh, essentially they said, you did not define conversion therapy carefully enough. It's, it's too vague and broad. If you kept it like this, it could be applied in a wide range of, of ways. And they had public debates about this. Um, the, the representative for the Liberal Party there, uh, and the, the main proponent of Bill C-6, his name was Minister Lametti, he's the Minister of Justice in Canada, he tried to persuade them, this, so this is last year with C-6, he said this, he said, these new offenses would not criminalize private conversations in which personal views on sexual orientation, sexual feelings, or gender identity are expressed such as where teachers, school counselors, pastoral counselors, faith leaders, doctors, mental health professionals, friends or family members provide support to persons 
struggling with their sexual orientation, feelings, or gender identity. So he tried to reassure them that the language as it stood was not going to be used to criminalize private conversations in those ways. Um, that was not convincing to them just to hear him ask them to take his word for it. Uh, they insisted that there be some language put in that would qualify in these ways. Personally, to me, I, I think a couple of things anyway. I think, well, putting it that way, this, th these offenses would not criminalize private conversations, only underscores the fact that it's criminalizing public conversations. And I, I suppose that's an okay thing uh, in, in their thinking. Uh, but furthermore, I'm thinking, even as a pastor, what constitutes a private conversation? Well, when does a conversation shift from being private to public? And uh, I mean, there's just an endless uh, possibility in terms of the, uh, of the risk here and the danger. Um, so he tried to persuade them in that way uh, without making any amendments or changes to the law. It was not persuasive. They did not go along with it. The bill died. They began the next legislative section, session, excuse me, the Liberal Party won again, and they promised that in the first 100 days, they were going to get this thing put through. So they brought it back up, uh, now called C4. And they did add some language uh, for the sake of clarity. But not any of the language that was being requested, not any of those kinds of things that would distinguish private and public, the, the changes they made were essentially, number one, they added ex more explicit language expanding these protections, expanding the law to apply to all Canadians, not just to minors. So they made, they made it very clear that this will criminalize this sort of behavior exhibited toward anyone, not just in protection to minors in particular. And they also added this last paragraph that we haven't read yet in order to help clarify uh, the, the intent of the bill. And you can even see in how it started their, their intention there. For greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition, and that is not based on an assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. So the, the main clarity they brought here is, just to be clear, this would not be a law that would criminalize actions taken to help a person transition, uh, undergoing a gender transition. That would, that's the kind of change that's acceptable to encourage someone toward. It wouldn't apply there. That's the sort of uh, clarification that they added, and that was it. Uh, they began the congressional discussion about this. I think this was November then, if I remember right. A conservative member of parliament stood and asked for every member of Congress to agree right then and there to stand in solidarity and pass this bill as a show of, of, of solidarity with no amendments or changes. And 100% of them stood and are on camera hugging one another across the aisle and shaking hands. And that was it. I guess they have a way to do that. There, He called for it, they all did it, and the discussion was over. And within a month, it was, it was passed into law, signed royally, given royal assent, as they call it, and it was done. The, you can understand how Christians in 
Canada saw this as a, a major um, betrayal, a, a, a breach of, of representation and trust. I found a description from the Canadian website ARPA. This is a Christian political advocacy organization. They described uh, these events. I, just, I thought I'd read this to you. In the previous parliament, 62 members of parliament had the courage to vote against Bill C-6, the one I was describing, because of its poorly drafted definition of conversion therapy. That vote occurred in June, just prior to parliament being dissolved for the fall election. On November 29th, just a week into the new parliamentary session, the liberals introduced Bill C-4, a conversion therapy ban even worse than its predecessor. Less than 48 hours later, not one single member of parliament was willing to oppose a motion to have Bill C-4 proceed directly to the Senate without debate, analysis, vote, or the possibility of amendments in the House. So no clarification language added whatsoever. So the language that you see is the language. And in describing it, now that it's come into law and they're beginning to work on the, the question of, of how to administer this these new policies. Uh, I read this on the Government of Canada's website. It said the, the practice that's being banned here can take various forms, including counseling and behavior modification. So already, they're, one of the two major forms that they are seeking to address is the form of simply counseling someone. One of the things we have to understand is that conversion therapy in the past has taken some obscene and horrible forms that we would vehemently oppose. The the taking of children struggling in these ways and inflicting physical pain on them to try to retrain their brain and these sorts of things, just awful stuff uh, that that, that no one would, would, uh, would, would be okay with. Now, those things have happened under the name conversion therapy in the past. What I want us to understand is that that's not what is being outlawed here. Any attempt to change uh, or suggest that a change is, is necessary or preferable. Now to get a bit further into that, I want to, I want to shift to the preamble of the bill, but let me just pause and ask any, any questions uh, at this point of what we've seen. Just one second, Mike. Mike, just one second. We're, we've got one up here. That's okay. No, please, you already. Uh, would you define the word practice as anything? Anything. Well, that's the entire question, right? If you, if you, we know how word games work, right? That's the reason, what you just said is exactly it. You've hit it on the head. The reason for the, the tremendous fear. Uh, and, and what I've heard, I've, I've watched interviews with Canadian pastors here in the last couple of weeks who have, who have said, we have already learned from the last many number of years the hostility and the way that the law is going, it has already been used in any way that can be found. You know, if, if that's already the trajectory and the language looks like this, then there's essentially a wide open door. It's going to depend on how individuals decide to apply it, right? Mike? No, no. It's addressing gender expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, you're, we're going to talk about some of those things here in a moment, too. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. 
Any, anything else? Rob? I don't. I don't know if I follow you on that last that last thing you're saying. Well, what is the what is what is the it there in your? You're saying that the law. Can only affirm. That's true. The the problem. What's that? Change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Well, in terms of the way it's written here, yeah. you, you can't help them change their gender identity to trans to 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 cisgender. But I suppose you can help them change. Well, obviously, you can help them change their gender identity to transgender. Yeah, the, this leads us well into the preamble because there's we're going to read all of the. Oh, no, no. Don't give away anything here, Blake. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, this came before that section that we were just looking at before these things. Let, let me just uh, read this. Uh, this is not bypassing what you said. I think that what you said sp- is is answered in part by this. Right? Um, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth, notice what is expressly mentioned here, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations gender identities, and gender expressions. And whereas in light of those harms, it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. Right? Um, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to, to see here, but it, it's very clear in the preamble here that the, the express aim of this is to take a particular viewpoint uh, where heterosexuality and cisgender, this, the, the aligning of how I have been born and created with how I think about myself, uh, that, that the notion that, those, that, those, that it's good for those to align is a myth and stereotype, or the notion that it's preferable that they would align. Right? So I, I suppose in this... Um, it still matches what you're saying, Rob, about the, the notion being simply universal affirmation of any direction that, that anyone is, is thinking they ought to go. Um, but you, you apply that in a world based upon the, the, the creation norms of God, and this is only really going one direction in, in terms of what they're fighting against, right? Even if that person is denying reality. Sure. That's right. You mean like the, the, the innumerable records we have already of school counselors in elementary school talking privately with seven-year-olds and encouraging them to consider that they might, in fact, be transgender? It's not exactly the sort of... Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Sure. 
Right. Yeah. Well, I think you're right about that. Um, let's look at a couple of things on here. A big one would be myths and stereotypes. Did that jump out at you? Whereas, I mean, these kinds of whereases is where you put the, the, the universal norms and understanding. Where, where, this is, I'm not going to defend this. This is my presupposition that everything else is based on. Uh, the, the notion uh, of, uh, well, let's just go down into the middle there. The myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, etc., are to be preferred over others uh, is based on myth and stereotype. This is, this is the Canadian government declaring that the entire Christian worldview that has that, that, that has, uh, you know what I mean by this, and I hope you know what I don't mean by this, but that has essentially produced all of Western civilization is, is myth and stereotype. Um, the, 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 it, it's hard to know what to say uh, about, about this kind of declaration being, uh, being made here. Uh, and I do think we need to sit and, and read uh, that second bullet, I guess, in particular carefully to understand what's being criminalized here is biblical sexuality and morality. Yes? Um, I, I think in where you were going to have, in general, you know, a equal A 50-50 split, in essence. So, well, you know, 50-50, 25-25, you know, whatever. Sure, yeah. And the, and the result then, in, the result in the attempt to address it is to criminalize the opposing viewpoint. Yeah, and you'll see when we show the criminal code here in a moment, there, one of the big additions and sections has to do with the public advertising of anything that would lead to this. They've, they've enabled themselves to be able to take those things down immediately and, and, uh, and go after them for criminal charges. The, the, the presentation in public of, of the notion of a perspective like this must be stamped out. Uh, and, and what I want us to see, as, I mean, we're sitting here in Evangelical Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas. We need to be able to read that bullet point and understand that, that uh, not only, I mean, we could say it in two ways. We could say that that is, uh, that that is a criminalizing of the biblical uh, the biblical uh, requirement, description, command concerning sexuality and morality. But even that would be not exactly correct. If you look at the, the language of this, this, is, this is, even this does not represent the biblical standard. Uh, this, is, this is outlawing the suggestion that those things are to be preferred over others. That's not, that's not the extent of the Bible's teachings on these things. That's an extremely watered-down version of the Bible's stance. What, what is demanded here, as you've been talking about the word equality, right? that, that, is, that all Canadians affirm that heterosexuality and homosexuality are equally blessed lifestyles. They are equally beneficial. and They are equally acceptable to God. Can a Christian affirm that? in any sense? And the, the clear answer is no, a Christian cannot affirm that. They cannot affirm that because they themselves would be 
lying and, and refusing to submit to God's word, but they also, because that's the truth, they cannot affirm that because they are commanded to love their neighbors. And to affirm such a thing is, is to hate their neighbors. And the, the Bible is explicit in naming homosexuality as a, not a less preferred lifestyle, a sinful, rebellious lifestyle that has to be repented of if one is to inherit eternal life. And, and even in general, we understand that living outside of God's good plan for us, anywhere we do that, here or anywhere else, uh, is an invitation for misery and suffering in this life. Right? We're concerned for others, not simply because of the state of their soul, but because of the consequences of rebellion in this life. And so if we truly love our neighbors, we are commanded to speak truth to them in love. And that means inviting them to a better way, inviting them to repent and to walk after Jesus for forgiveness of sins and to honor the creational intent and design that he set in place. Now, I hope that we have that pretty clear in our minds as we think about homosexuality. Uh, the idea in all of this that I think is probably far newer to us than that is, is in that second realm, the matters of gender identity and gender expression. That's the, the transgender wave of this has been a bit uh, more recent than the uh, wave in the realm of, of, uh, of sexual ethics. And I think it's an even deeper one than the other. It's a deeper level of rebellion and perversion. Uh, the, this is hitting at the Bible's teaching about creation norms themselves. Uh, about the importance of recognizing God's right to declare our identity in our creation, that when God makes us, in the way he makes us, he is declaring who we are, what we are, and part of that declaration has to do with his decision to make me male or female. That's a choice that he makes as he creates me and as he intends me to be what he's made me to be. So we have to be prepared to honor and recognize those distinctions, his right to make them, and the importance of upholding them. Mike mentioned an Old Testament passage to the effect of uh, the gender expression notion. Uh, another example would be 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 declares it to be a Christian priority that physical distinctions between the genders, in the way that that particular culture recognizes those distinctions, those physical distinctions between the genders are to be upheld. They're to be taken as important in the Christian worldview. I mean, that's gender expression right there, explicitly. Now, there's obviously a ton to be said about, that, about this concept, and that's really not our topic this morning to dive deeply into those things. Um, but, but it is a great providential plug for what we're starting next week in this hour. Ryan is going to be leading us through a new book by Kevin DeYoung called Men and Women in the Church. If you, some of you like to read along uh, at home, as we go through things, look at the size of this thing. A short biblical practical introduction is the name. Yeah. Uh, and it's fantastic. Kevin DeYoung is so sharp and clear on these things. Uh, men and women in the church, and most of it is dealing with, with, uh, with that setting. He does speak in it as well, though, to just men and women in general. Some of the th sorts of things that we're 
talking about. Uh, and we want to go through that book because we are convinced it's, this is not just important in general for us to understand. It's not just that this is hitting at a level that we have so assumed and taken for granted, thankfully, blessedly, until recently, um, but that we've done that so much that, that this, if attacks begin to come here, isn't that amazing? You can, have, you can have almost unquestioned truths because they're so obvious, but because they've been unquestioned, if an attack comes there, it, it can actually be even more unsettling and more uncertain of how to respond to this because we, we haven't even thought through that. We can't afford it anymore. It's, it's here. It's these things. And so we, we, we want to go through that and begin to uh, bring that more into the level of conscious thought and conversation. Um, let's keep going here. This is, I told you I wasn't sure about the time, and I do want us to have time to, to pray together. Uh, th- we don't need to spend very long on this slide. We can glance at it quickly, but I did want to put it up here just to give a sense of the, uh, what this is doing is naming out the consequences for these, uh, for these violations. Everyone who knowingly causes another person. Again, notice the, uh, how, how broad that is. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person. Minors, adults, it doesn't matter. So your, your, your young child is struggling. You send them to a counselor to talk about these things. The counselor is guilty. You are guilty. You have caused them to undergo this. Is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Or guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. And it goes into the advertising of and uh, financial benefiting of. Uh, these portions of the criminal code that are updated are in the, I found this interesting, they're in the public morals section of the Canadian law code. So you find these, these things in the same paragraphs as um, consequences for uh, the, the um, what's the word? Um, consequences for child pornography, uh, thing, public lewdness, things of this nature. Those things get you in trouble, and conversion therapy gets you in trouble. That, that's the section they've put these in. There's a moral high ground here. Um, now, another goal for this morning, as I said, was to help us be aware of how pervasive this sort of underlying thinking is becoming around us uh, in our own situation. I don't, I'm not real happy with how, you, with how visible this is to you, especially if you're in the back. Uh, but this is, this is a map of the, the current state of laws uh, in the U.S. The dark uh, states are the states that have statewide bans on conversion therapy. The uh, three on the bottom right are states that have passed that, but they have a, they're, they're in the process, so there's a preliminary injunction right now as they work through those things. The other states with the orange dot are states where there's not a statewide ban, but there are local uh, or counties and municipalities that have passed those laws for themselves. So you have the percentage of the state population that's covered with those bans. Uh, my, now, I do want to be clear, these aren't necessarily the same, well, they're not the same as the language we just heard in the Canadian bill. One big difference is, um, if I understand this right, 
I'm no expert here, but as, as, I have, as I have been researching it, these bans are bans that apply to minors only. Uh, they're protections for minors. The only exception is Washington, D.C. D.C.'s ban is, is all-encompassing, minors and adults. But so far, uh, from my understanding, the rest of these apply in the realm of minors. Um, it seems like, this, like there's a real difference as well for us in the simple fact of the First Amendment protections that we have right now. That's, that is not the same situation that the Canadians have. Um, and there are ways, as you've been no doubt hearing, that the Supreme Court has been guarding First Amendment protections here in recent years. Um, I, I did want to read from uh, something here from the ACBC. This is the association. Is that right? Marty, what? ACBC. I just lost it. Something, uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. That's what it is. Um, she sent this to me as we were talking about this. One of these local laws is in the process of being passed in West Lafayette, Indiana. And they're especially concerned about it. They say this, while various legislative actions have been taken against what is often called conversion or reparative therapy in the U.S. over the past decade or so, that's what you see on the map here, this ordinance differs from the current legislation on two significant fronts. One, this ordinance specifically targets, un targets unlicensed counselors. Two, conversion therapy, um, oh, this is a, an aside, they say conversion therapy as defined by this ordinance has been given a far broader and ambiguous definition compared to current legislative action. To be clear, fundamental practices and goals of, con of conversion therapy in the past in no way reflect the biblical approach to counseling. That's what we were talking about, that this is, there are real problems in the past on these. But the intentional ambiguity of this ordinance would hold pastors and biblical counselors, both licensed and unlicensed, in violation of this ban if they attempt to counsel a biblical sexual ethic to a minor struggling with same-sex attraction or gender confusion. If they're right that, that that's a difference in this, then that's a difference popping up in the U.S. that is very much more like what we're seeing in this Canadian bill. Um, the simple fact is we know that these things filter through, right? We know that Individual nations' moves impact the thought and practice of other nations. We know trajectories. Um, and if it's true right now, and it, it clearly is, that things in the U.S. stand better than in Canada in terms of protections for people who hold a biblical ethic, even if we, even if me, take me as an example, as a pastor, even if I am protected legally in some ways uh, against some of these ordinances, we just have to remember, each one of these bans that we see on the map here represents places where confused and struggling people are being kept from actual support and help and guidance. And so we have a lot to pray for, don't we? Uh, we are right here, right? Um, I don't think we can faithfully be here on a map that looks like this and not be zealously praying for our brothers and sisters in these other places 
praying for God's grace and mercy, praying for boldness and courage. I think the Lord would call on us to lift up those represented on this map. And in particular this morning as well, to lift up those in Canada. Uh, there are a large group of, of pastors this morning in Canada who have promised together to stand in their pulpit and preach a sermon on biblical sexuality and morality explicitly as a result of this that's just been passed. We need to be praying. And that's what I'd like us to do. We have about six minutes. Uh, this is just entirely a suggestion, but um, if it's helpful, I thought I'd put a few points uh, that we can be praying for up on the screen. Could we, could we take the next five, six minutes just find the people that are close to you. You can do this how you'd like in those groups. Um, but uh, let's, let's act on this this morning. Let's sit together for a few minutes and pray for those brothers and sisters that are affected by this. And uh, when your group is done, then, we are, uh, then you are dismissed uh, as a group. Thank you.